Coming up, when FanDuel sets the win total over under benchmark at 37 and a half for your Brooklyn Nets, we ask the question, is that too low, too high? Where should the optimism be for the Brooklyn Nets fan base? We break down all the key factors to this team getting back to the playoffs. Coming up next. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ah, uh, yes, my friends, it is the Locked On Nets podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day. Over there, you're going to find Doug Norrie. He's the owner-operator of DFSR for all your daily fantasy sports rankings. From DraftKings to FanDuel, he's got you covered. I'm Adam Arbrick, breaking down the New York football giants on the One Giant Podcast. My boy, Andy Mack, we thank you for making us your first listen of the day. We are free on all those great platforms and let you know. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. And Dougie, 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 can't you see the NBA is treating the Nets disrespectfully? That rhymed, my friend. 37 and a half point total on FanDuel. We're going to talk about other teams around the league where the Nets stack up, but just on balance, where did that number land for you for the Nets in this upcoming season? I had the number in my in my own initial projections at 39 and a half before FanDuel, and that's on record. You can go over to Twitter. Um, at, before FanDuel released this, FanDuel brought it in at 30. Our friends over at FanDuel brought it in at 37 and a half with a little uh, minus 15 juice in the over. So, like, you're maybe they're thinking it's more effectively like 38, right? 38 wins. And I, we can get into it right from here. You know, if you if your win total to start the season is 38, that means your loss total is 44. And that is a team that is project. That's that's you know, that's a little back of the napkin, high level <laughs> math for you right there. But, uh, you know, so that's setting the expectation now and sports are nothing if not expectation um, over performance. But like the expectation now is that's a six game below 500 team going into this yeah. season. So we'll talk about probably where FanDuel comes in with this number where we both think we land with it. And I think it's an interesting sort of first look about how markets, frankly, are viewing this Brooklyn Nets team going in forward and markets are, I don't know, usually pretty sound with this kind of stuff. Yeah, I, it's, I find it interesting, too, because we, we know the 27 games that this team played after the trade deadline and after letting go of the superstars was below 500 basketball, right? So it, it's not hard to look at that and look at the players and look at the team and say, while we know they, they've made some adjustments with certain additions in free agency, nothing was groundbreaking, didn't bring in a star or you know any other um, really big needle mover per se. So I wouldn't expect it to be much different, right? You said 39, and I think I, I would be closer to where you're at when when you were talking about that over on Twitter. I think I even said I'm I'm a couple I'm a couple wins higher. Like I I think that this team can be a slightly above 500 team going into this season as currently constructed. Now that may only be 42 and 40, which would be above 500, but I still think that they can be there. And a lot of it, based on what we've talked about with the offensive side of the ball, the defensive side of the ball. It really is just having some sense that consistency is going to breed better opportunities throughout the season to grab a cu another couple of wins. Now, that is kind of 
you know, separated from what other teams have done this offseason, how the Eastern Conference looks this season, right? So I think there are some other factors there, but I, I, I do just view this team on a pure talent level as being a, a slightly above 500 club. 37 and a half would seem a little, that seems a little bit low to me. Like, I, you know, I mean, okay, it seems yeah. a few games low to me and that's, and that's marginal, right? That's a marginal statement. It is, but I'll tell you right now, I like the over on this number and there's a bunch of different reasons why some of them have to do yeah. with like their actual personnel. Some of them have to do with sort of the rest of the NBA landscape. But I think I feel pretty confident at this point that this number is probably coming in a little low. And the first reason has actually very little to do with any of their off-season moves or anything like that. And it's actually strictly about motivations. Their motivations this season differ from some of the other teams that are going to be into this range based on the simple fact that Houston owns their draft pick. They have no reason to yep. tank. They have every reason to take this wire to wire. And when even just giving a team that and, a, and very giving them very definitively that, that alone mm. changes the narrative for me in a pretty significant way because sometimes you look at these numbers going into the season and you, and you tell yourself a story, right? You're like, all right, what's the story here? And I'll maybe later in the podcast, we'll talk about some of these other over under and guys like other teams that we like or dislike, but I'll give you one example of this, the Toronto Raptors, the Toronto Raptors who are sitting around the same win total of 36 and a half as the Nets are. You can tell yourself a story where the Raptors become sellers here. Right. And right. they, you know, top six protective pick to the Spurs, whatever the Nets just, and, and, and I, that, that kind of submarines the whole thing. The Nets just are, there's no situation where they will be in a, in the tank at all. They cannot. There's no reason. They won't do it. Their personnel won't dictate it, and their draft picks, and the lack of draft picks won't dictate it. Just from that alone, that is worth something, especially in those final few weeks of the season where the, you could be like close on this number. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100% on that, on that aspect of it, especially relative to other teams and where they're going to be, right? Um the one one thing I'll bring up on that front is how committed are the Brooklyn Nets to that mentality? And I only I bring it up in the, in the instance of I'm not going to put Noah Clowney in this because I think we all we all know he's going to be developing at the G League level and there's very little scenarios where I think he he comes up to the NBA level maybe just for a taste symbolically. But Jalen Wilson, Derek Whitehead, depending on where his health is and when he's ready, do you do you see there being? A, a balancing act for the Brooklyn Nets this season of because I, I can look at it and say, hey, while we don't own our own draft capital and we are we all we, all we want to do is compete, we want to make the playoffs. We also do have a couple of these guys that we want to know going into this next offseason. Are they ready to take the next step forward for us? Are they ready to be a part of the rotation in the following season? Because they're going to have decisions to make around a lot of one-year contracts, right? There's going to be a lot of open roster spots a year from now on this roster. And so I, I agree with you. And we've talked about this before with Sean Marks and his organization. They always seem to be trying to serve more than one agenda and more than one path simultaneously. I do wonder a little bit about that factor and if that plays into a win or two or a loss or two here along the way. All right, I have the answer for that, and I'll get to that Ooh. in one second. First, I'm going to tell you about our friends over at FanDuel. The aforementioned FanDuel, we're not just giving you the FanDuel plug because we like the over-unders on the win totals. also want to let you know you can take your first swing at MLB on FanDuel, and you can get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. Just 
bet 20 bucks and you can land $200 in bonus bets. And here's the key win or lose. You can spend that 200 betting everything from the money line to the over unders. Think who you think for at least MLB is concerned. Who's going to fit the hit the first home run. Maybe you want to get in some strikeout props. They got it all there for you on FanDuel. You can even get ahead of it on NBA action. Like we mentioned with the win totals, and that's 37 and a half minus 115 on FanDuel. We'll throw out some later in the show, throw out some uh, other ones, win totals that we like or dislike, all on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you can get paid instantly. No better place to bet on the MLB and NBA than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Sign up today and visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. Okay, so as we talk about the Brooklyn Nets win total projections, 37 and a half over on FanDuel. I talk about a couple of these little factors, curiosities and questions, Doug. Where do you land on the idea that there are at least a couple of young developmental players that if they cost the Nets a couple of wins, are they willing to sacrifice that? And I guess maybe it comes down to, are they in the playoffs, not in the playoffs at that point, play in game, not playing, et cetera. I think we'll see these guys in drips and drabs, and I think they're going to have reasons to not go overboard on playing the young guys. One, they're both super young. There's no expectations around them right now with, with Clowney and Whitehead. Whitehead's working his way back from a foot injury. There'll be no rush on that at all, right? So, like, you're not worried about that. Clowney, I think everyone knows he's a developmental project, so I think that's just going to be G League reps, and that's going to be what you see from him, and I don't think anyone's going to have a problem with that. I think the Nets have bought themselves time with guys like that, in that the expectation levels for now are low, and that's great for them and yeah. good for not having to push their minutes this season, even with a developmental, um, like a player development coaching staff that we've already seen from them, right? This is a very player development mm-hmm. coaching, like Kevin Ollie, Ronnie Burrell, plus Jacques Vaughn, um, and some of the other guys that they have. This is going to be about like getting the guys they have better, but I'm not worried about those guys cutting into them, cutting into minutes in any meaningful way. So, you know, outside of maybe Cam Thomas, who we talked about many, plenty of times, and he's like outside of the player development aspect of it now, probably too. So I don't know. Does that make sense? I mean, do you think that like that, does that, does that make you less worried about that situation? I'm really not worried about that situation at all when the win total is concerned. Yeah. And it is a bit of a, you know, a leading question for me in a lot of ways, because I think throughout the course of this season, there's going to be games when the Nets get blown out because you're playing against teams that are better than you. There's going to be games when you're blowing other teams out because you are at least better than X number of teams around the league. And in those games, that's when you carve out some minutes. When Dariq Whitehead's healthy, you give him a sample size. Jalen Wilson, I do find fascinating, again, because he's coming off a phenomenal summer league, and, and I I probably am, I know I am, out of the two of us, higher on the idea that he can work himself into some you know level of consistent opportunities throughout the season. Two-way contract matters here, money matters here. But they can find ways to do that without affecting the, the win total by, by any real, you know, real significance. The, the other thing to me is take the pull, pull back here a little bit, go look at the Eastern conference standings last year, yeah. right? The 10th team in the Eastern conference was the Toronto Raptors that you were just talking about at 500, 41 and 41. So this is talking about a team in theory being outside of even the play in tournament. And while this is not the way you gauge it, if you're going to tell me, that this team as currently constructed is going to entirely miss the playoffs, including the play in. I just re I, I, I find it really hard to look at that and think that that's going to be the case. I whatever they are, as far as the ceiling, I believe their floor is being a part of this playoff conversation. I've consistently said, 
Does it make them a top six? No, but I do think they live closer to eight to eight or seven than they do to 10 or 11 trying to claw their way in. And look, just go back and listen to the podcast earlier in the week where we talked about the offense and defense. We talked about the offense as being like, you know, a potential problem point, right? Fully admit that, stick sticking to that. But we talked about this defense as being able to be probably possibly very good, very, very good, right? Yeah. It's going to be hard to be a very bad team if you have one side of the ball that could be elite. Like, that's not mm-hmm. just not how it works, right? Like, you can't – offense – I mean, look, offense is more important, but – Defense, if you have the personnel to be an excellent defensive team, you are just going to back into wins that way too. And so you just, and you can't say that about some of these other teams, right? Like you just can't, like if if the Nets can be great on one end of the court, which I think they, we both agree they have the ability to be like the personnel to possibly be there. That's worth something as well. So when you factor that, when you look at that, and then you look like you said at the, the, the scope of the Eastern conference, you can tell yourself stories where some of these teams I mean, some got way worse. Like the Wizards, you know, potentially got a lot yeah. worse. Um, you know, maybe people might be a little mixed on that, but their win total is low. Magic, they probably got a little better. Hornets, uh, who knows? Pistons, no, not really. Pacers are probably going forward a little more. Raptors are almost for sure going to be worse. Bulls could sell it all off. You know, like uh, who knows? Like where they're where they're looking, they they kind of fit into that group of the Raptors before. The West is loaded, but the Eastern Conference is not, and I think that. I think you have to factor that in too when you look at the Nets plus their motivations. Like there's going to be some other teams that are not going to be motivated down here. And if you factor in that the Nets are already potentially excellent at one end of the court, it's just going to be worth something. And overall, I just feel very confident that we're going to get a full season of try hard. And that that matters. Like that just really, really matters for some of these teams when you combine that the Nets just have the ability, like they possibly have the personnel to just be better if like you get a Simmons back healthy and whatnot. And you mentioned like, right, like three quarters of a season, try hard. And then the final quarter of the season, shutting it down because you want to make sure your draft capital gets into the nice spot. Like the bulk of teams that, that right. fade in the, in the final like what the quarter Blazers of the year. Did. Like the Blazers did that last right. year or the, or, or, the, or, or the Mavs in the last couple games, right? Where they're like, Blazers did it for the final two weeks. Mavs did it like to end the season. The Nets just won't do it. They won't do it. Like the only way they would do it is if they were so far out of the play-in by the week, final week, and they just didn't want to get anyone injured. And even then, mm-hmm. they're not going to do it because they might be going for some player award stuff, right? Like you could have individual seasons from some of these guys. There's just no story where that's just going to happen with them. Um, and short of them somehow trading for their Houston pick back, which will never happen. <laughs> like, so the, as like, so outside of those things, I just don't think Nets fans from an effort standpoint have to be concerned at all about the overall point of the season, even if they have ma- potentially major weaknesses, like on the offensive end or rebounding or whatever. Before we talk about some of these other teams, cause I do agree with you before we talk about some of the other teams in the Eastern conference. And one of them, which I find fascinating is Chicago, as you said, um, and where their win totals are specifically. I also think a big factor, as we said, the defense can be elite. The offense is a question mark. And when you're talking about win total projections, it's it's not easy to project wins on defense, right? Like, like there, you look at the offensive side of the ball primarily and how good that end of the floor can be to start to set your expectations there. So I think that will be fascinating. Let's just, um, as we look at some of these teams, I'm, I'm just going to bring up Chicago here and then we'll talk about teams that are ahead of them and behind them and where they kind of sit in this pecking order. The Chicago Bulls, who are, who are at 36 and a half on, uh, on their over-under win total. I, now, you mentioned it there. They could sell it all off. 
I find it fascinating that a team that has on paper a lot of, you know, marquee names of note, that number to me, if like if I was a Chicago Bulls fan base and I saw the Nets and then I saw theirs, I go, well, what are we doing here? You know, like we've got plenty of veteran talent. And yes, last season, like in theory, was a blip, not a trend for this particular unit. I, I found that one to be really fascinating to see how the start of their season goes. And that plays a big factor into the Brooklyn Nets, their win total and their and their status in the Eastern Conference, because that's right there on that fringe. And they would be a team to start the year. Chicago's playing for it, right? They, they want to be competitive. They want to win games. They want to go to the playoffs. That takes a team out of the Nets way if it doesn't go according to plan leading up to the deadline for them. Yeah, and look, the, the story of the Bulls is easy to tell yourself on the lower total because, like, last year, and not to make this the lockdown Bulls here, but, like, that last year, <laughs> they had, nearly, outside Alonzo, they had, like, nearly picture-perfect health. You know, Levine played yep. 77 games. DeRozan played 74. Vooch played all 82, right? And, and uh, oh, Patrick Williams played all 82. Like, those guys played all the games. And they still weren't good, right? Like they still were 40 and 42 and they had nearly picture perfect health. Lonzo's not coming back this year. They already got the disabled player exception. Like, so he's, he's gone. They didn't really make any huge upgrades over the off season. Like how could it not be lower? It's like the opposite of the nets. Like with the nets, you can start telling yourself a story with them. It's like, okay, well they were a little below 500 to stop to end the season. So maybe that's more they were, but like that didn't include Ben Simmons. So maybe you want to like, he boosts the heat. Maybe he raises your floor. If he comes back, maybe you like some of these signings that they have. Maybe you just like, it's another season of cohesiveness. These guys didn't get to play together a ton. And now we get like real cohesion with them coming into the season. Like Cam Johnson got paid and like, you feel he's comfortable. Like there's a lot of other things you can tell yourself a whole narrative. Yeah. Positives around the nets. You can tell yourself all these positives, with the Bulls, you can't – they got all their positive last year. They Everything worked out. Like, and it, didn't, and they, it and, didn't work out, right? <laughs> and they were 40 and 42. Now, yeah. you know, an injury or whatever, like, I don't know. So I think it's pretty easy to start. I think it's easy to set a narrative, a narrative landscape for the Nets that looks a little different than some of these teams. Now, coming up here in a second, let's talk about exactly that. Where are the Nets at 37 and a half? in the pecking order of the Eastern Conference. Who's in front of them? Who's behind them? And what does it look like for their playoff future? Okay, so talking win totals over on FanDuel, where the Nets are marked in at 37.5. Doug had it a little bit higher by his own projections before FanDuel. Even though we love FanDuel, Doug's doing it sooner. He's doing it earlier. 39.5 for Doug. I had him maybe saying, hey, they could be a 41 and 41, 42 and 40 kind of team. What's interesting about this, though, to go by FanDuel's projections, I, I, I probably maybe I missed the team in here, but by my mark, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven teams that are clearly above the Nets in projections. Then we've got Chicago, which is just behind them at 36 and a half. The Pacers are right there at 37 and a half. So uh, point being is the Nets are effectively slotted in around eight, nine ish kind of range in the playoff picture. And if you look at the teams around them right now in that range, this is where. I maybe get a little bit, not to love Chicago here, bullish on on what I think the Nets will be by the end of the season. Because to your point, the Pacers, have they gotten better? 100%. Do I think that they are a better team than the Brooklyn Nets right now? I mean, marginally, but I would I would, I would, would take the Nets. And I'm not. that's not a knock on the Pacers. I like a lot of what they've done this offseason. But I just look at it and say the Nets might be, all things considered, at the top of the top of that next tier of teams behind the ones that are clearly established at the top of the Eastern conference one through six ish. 
Yeah, I, I think I agree with that too. I think the win totals kind of bear out. Two, they tell two stories. One, again, that the Eastern Conference is was much weaker than the Western Conference. Like the Western Conference, yep. you have ten teams. You have two, three really good teams that aren't going to make the playoffs, almost for sure. Like it's just crazy. It's actually mm-hmm. you have like 11, 11 good teams. Really, um, that, that's just not the case with the Eastern Conference. And so that that alone is going to help the Nets. I think motivationally, like you said, some of these teams could could very well be headed in the wrong directions, like the Bulls and Raptors. Um, I think there's even teams you can tell yourself a story around that could just be worse than last year. Like if the Heat don't get Dame, that team's worse. No, no, no doubt about yeah. it. Right? They get here, they get Hero back, but they lost some key pieces. I mean, they probably will get Dame, but I don't know. That it's not, it's not a lock. Bucks, Celtics, like Sixers, like you don't. That Harden situation's not worked out. Like they're still gonna be really good, way better than the Nets, but like as good. But game I don't to game, know. wins and losses. I don't know. In Harden the doesn't play season. the whole season. Harden doesn't right. play the whole season and they and they don't get in a trade. That team's worse. No doubt about it. Right. Um, and so there's just like lots of narrative pieces. Cavs, you still feel good about. Knicks, you still feel good about. Um, Hawks probably feel better about. My point is that I think that the, this lines up really for a t- for a year that the Nets were going to be sort of in between on talent and and not really having a draft pick. It actually yeah. kind of lines up pretty well for them in the Eastern Conference around sort of where these other teams might be falling because yep. like for instance like okay flip side if the nets were in the western conference i'd be mortified about what the season could look like <laughs> because uh, right because they'd be like oh my god they could try hard and not win 30 games against right. these other like absolute powerhouse teams that are all really really going for it that and not have their draft pick that would be the the absolute disaster situation mm-hmm. for the nets it's just not the case in the Eastern Conference. There's just these things actually, these these deck chairs line up a little bit better than they would have on the Titanic, right? Because the Nets just aren't in that situation. And these teams, some might not know if they're coming or going. 52 um, in conference games in, in a given season, 30 against the other conference, right? So when you talk about it, the Nets were over there, it'd be 52 games against the likes of the Dallas Mavericks, who, by the way, right, missed the playoffs, but are not a non-playoff team to go along with every, I mean, frankly, to your point about that, just not to go Western Conference here, but it's like OKC, right? They were ninth at 40 and 42. They're going to be a better team this year. Like the back, the lower end teams have gotten better. The top end teams have all stayed there. That that conference well, is going to be a, a fascinating I mean, watch and also a mess if you're a fan. <laughs> Let me just interrupt you for one second because I'm just going to read this list, right? Because I actually went through this yesterday or the other day and was like, I was like, oh my God, this is hard. Nuggets, Grizzlies, Kings, Suns, Clippers, Warriors, Lakers, Timberwolves, Thunder, Pelicans, Mavs, and kind of maybe even throw in the Jazz. Like, pick three of those teams that aren't going to make the playoffs. It's hard. (laughs) Like, it's hard to to plant a flag around three of those teams that are not going to make the playoffs. So sorry to interrupt you, but I just, I think. No, no, no. And even by the way. Illustri- it's I'll, good to I'll... illustrate when you actually hear the teams. You're like, oh, I have to pick three of these not to make the playoffs? Yikes. Like, that's hard. <laughs> and by the way, and this doesn't always happen. Houston Rockets are, they went from being an absolute non-factor to at least being a factor. And that doesn't mean, who knows yeah. what's going to happen with them. But they went from being a dumpster fire to being like, hey, you have Go. to play the Houston Rockets now. Yep. So that becomes really, the Western Conference is a, is, is a nightmare. And we're not in the Western Conference. That's the beauty of it. We get to look at the, we get to instead think about the Toronto Raptors, Chicago Bulls, Pacers, and Washington Wizards of the world. Anybody um for you, before we close out, just on a high level, that jumped out to you from a win total standpoint? And then let's say Eastern Conference may, uh, for to start, right? What was one team there that really jumped out at you? 
I'll just give you the. How about I just give you like four of these, and you can tell me if you like any of these, and then or you can just give me your own because I have I have five overall that that I like. I actually already said. um, Oh no, I didn't say. Oh no, yeah, sorry, I said Toronto under thirty six and a half. I like that one. I think they could be end up being sellers. Um, I like the. No one's gonna want to hear this. I do like the Suns over fifty two and a half. The that KD team. Um, I think that team could be real, real tough. Um, do like the Pacers over thirty seven and a half. And I like OKC over 34, 43 and a half. Although I'm a wavering a little mm. bit on that one because of how good the Western Conference is. I was like, I was mostly I love OKC, um, but right. I was I'm a little worried. I I fell into my own little like love love circle on that one. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> without maybe factoring in the whole Western Conference. Anyway, any of those stand out? Or you like? I'm, I could probably go Bulls under two. Yeah, I like I, the, the OKC one because I'm I'm like a young team kind of guy, and I like up mm-hmm. you know taking some upside shots. The one in the Eastern Conference, like I mean, you mentioned it about they've been the the, the talk of the offseason. Miami Heat at forty eight and a half for for yep. two reasons. One, not only if you don't get Dame, what's going to happen there, but also like the, the Miami Heat aren't the re- aren't a regular season team. They're a get through the regular season and then go to the playoffs. So you know, just from yeah, a, a number standpoint, forty eight and a half is a lot for a team that has some older players, some veteran guys. Even if you get Dame, by the way, they still may look at it and go. Again, the regular season matters even less now that we have Dame. Just get us into the conversation, and that matters. And then, obviously, we talk about the 76ers there at the top of it with how uncertain they are. I I might just take the flyer on the under with them because I don't know. You know, James Harden doesn't show up. Tobias Harris and Joel Embiid, and, you know, it's just a very interesting situation there for them, certainly. But at a minimum, man, just to get it back onto the Nets before we we close out, I, I would take the over on the Nets. I believe they will get the over, not just because of the bargain of it. I think that they'll get to it. And I think that they're probably one of the hardest teams relative to their over-under. I think they're one of the hardest teams to set the benchmark for because there is a, a, a very wide range of outcomes pertaining to Ben Simmons. And if he's back healthy, this team that only has a 27-game sample size, right? Like, There's a lot more quantifiable data around all these other teams in both conferences or around individual players. Even Cam Johnson and Mikael Bridges, as we said earlier in the week, they are now entering their first full season as being the primary guys. And we really don't know what that's going to look like for Brooklyn. Yeah, this I find it fascinating. This is really, you know, this is where the NBA never stops, right? There's only so many ways to dissect this sort of going into the season and like looking at each team and then looking specifically at the Nets. And I think, you know, are they on the championship tra- trajectory? Of course not. But in terms of just overall sort of like being interesting based on what they maybe see as the future, I think this season will really define what they feel like the future plans are around some of these guys. And I think that wraps itself really, really ni- nicely into like sort of the win total overall. And by the way, don't forget about checking in on, on our episodes about what the Nets maybe need to do this offseason to cement what the regular season looks like, as well as looking at some additional trade possibilities to refine this roster heading into the upcoming season. All right, we're going to get out of here. Make sure, like Adam said, make sure you check out those previous episodes and also subscribe. Locked on Nets over on YouTube. Subscribe wherever you listen to the podcast. Totally free, the, both of those places, and it does the most to help us. So subscribe on YouTube. Subscribe wherever you listen to Locked on Nets on the podcast network. True for the Brooklyn Nets and maybe for many NBA teams, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. That's Bono yeah. from YouTube. <laughs> One of the all-time great poets. Eh. Back again eh. tomorrow talking more Brooklyn Nets basketball. Basketball, 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 basketball.